again as you know because that's the name of the show and i have back with me tonight uh i'm going to officially call you friend of the show now christopher garitano hello sir hello alex how are you i'm doing very well very, uh, glad to talk to you again i'm glad this bigfoot thing is happening we discussed it briefly last time you were on yeah it's it's good to be back on your show and i was very inspired to start shooting bigfoot which we did in october and you know uh we went pretty far with it too. You know, we were all over, um, Northern Michigan and, uh, shot some really good stuff, which you could see in that sneak preview, uh, that I put out. And, uh, then we headed, headed out to, uh, Utah and shot more stuff. And, you know, I had, uh, an opportunity to speak to a few, uh, private investors at the time. And it just seems like every time I get involved with one of these guys, they try and, um, you know, somehow feel like they have authority over the project. So I decided, uh, between my own money and the, and this crowdsource fund might be a good idea. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I have this Indiegogo thing and I'm hoping that the, uh, people, uh, that are really into this stuff might take a look at my sneak preview reel and consider joining up and, and helping this independent film, uh, happen. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. Oh, hell yeah. So what's the uh, what's the uh, uh, address that we can send people to? So uh, you could simply go to Indiegogo.com, type in Bigfoot, and the one project that's called Bigfoot is mine. Oh, good. Um, right. That makes it easy. That's, <laughs> I could send you the address if you want to post it. Oh, yeah, that'd uh, be anywhere. good. Yeah. But, yeah, or you could go to you could look me up on Facebook uh, or the Bigfoot Facebook page for that I created for this has it has the posts all over, but. Um, you know, I'm really it's it's an honest thing and it's I would not even bother with the subject matter if I wasn't inspired enough to do something original with it and you know, believe it or not, if you really do your research there's like no good Bigfoot movie out there really. I mean, there was some fun, you know, exploitation films made in the 70s, good stuff that was done by In Search of and there's good there's incredible books that have been written for decades. But no movies uh, to really speak of, it, at the very least in recent years. There's been nothing to speak of, just kind of just total trash exploitation films, except for one documentary called Bigfoot's Reflection. But none of them cover the history that's been available for years, these incredible stories that go all the way from Native American legends to, you know, throughout the Roosevelt story, the Bauman story. Patterson's story, you know, told correctly. I mean, we've seen it done in reenactments a million times, but no one's really told the story of this man in, in a motion picture. So I'm kind of making an anthology. It's like 80% cinema based on the rich history of the North American Sasquatch and, you know, about 20% documentary towards the last act because we want to display the science, but it's all very textured and painterly and 
uh, you know, some, some style and, and, and technique that hasn't been executed in a film like this ever. So I really am working on something one of a kind. Yeah, that sounds cool. So, so you're doing it it's sort of like the, um, the way you do it, you approach Montauk, like with the dramatic reenactments and the kind of cinematic side. And then, you know, it is essentially documentary style. Sure. I think there was more documentary, though, in Montauk. In this case, there'll be more cinema because it's I'm telling these solid stories. Um, a few I can talk about are um, the Bauman story that was in Theodore Roosevelt's book, his memoir, Wilderness Hunter, where he was recollecting. He wrote this later in his life when he was at Sagamore Hill, but um, he was recollecting a man about a man that he met out on the frontier. I believe he was hunting buffalo at the time. And this was, you know, described as kind of an old, uh, you know, grizzled kind of frontier man named Bauman. As that's the only name that he gives in the in the um, memoir. But he said that Bauman was, uh, you know, scared, terrified, and I think it's this guy's emotion were of such an impression on Roosevelt that he actually wrote this very strange story in his memoirs. And the story goes, when Bauman was much younger. He was out trapping with a buddy, and uh, their camp, I think it was pretty much just like a lean-to that they, they built, was being stalked for three nights by something, you know, at the time the term Bigfoot wasn't coined until like 1956 or 58 or something, but um, Bauman and his buddy were stalked by this thing that was described as a, as a large Sasquatch. And so I think on night two, they shot at it and they were scared as hell. And, you know, I think by the third morning, they decided that it was time to leave, but they first decided to go out and clear their traps and they went separate ways. So Bauman went one way and his buddy went the other way, who wasn't named in the memoirs. Um, and when Bauman was returning, you know, they made a deal. Let's get out of here before the sun goes down. When Bauman returned to the camp, he found his friend dead, a broken neck, puncture wounds in his neck. Camp was destroyed and he heard this thing, you know, screaming in the distance. So he completely split out of there. It's really a spooky story, the way it's laid out. And, and I'm kind of paraphrasing the whole thing, but the way it's laid out in Roosevelt's novel is really spooky and obviously affected Roosevelt. So I wanted to I wanted to turn this into a, a scene, you know, a, a chapter in the film. And there's stories like that that I feel like are really significant. And not all of them are about Sasquatch attacking a camp or a house. Like there's one, the Ape Canyon story is kind of like that. But it shows a different side of the tale through each of these stories. And um, it's just, you know, it's, I felt like this would be the ultimate movie on the topic because everybody's glossed over this history. And there's a lot to learn from it, you know, because these are kind of credible people telling these tales, at least, you know, in Roosevelt's case, this guy would have never written this story. You know? He wasn't like a paranormal enthusiast of his day. So yeah, I just felt like it was significant enough to put in this film. Did Roosevelt end up seeing one? Was that a story I heard or is this, am I conflating the two? Well, Daniel Boone claimed to have shot at one. Oh, really? uh, oh, wow. So that's one person, but Roosevelt may have later in life but in this memoir he never claimed what he claimed was that 
it was the impression that the I guess the emotion that was coming out of the Bauman when he told Roosevelt the story, it was just, you know, Roosevelt believed him, you know, a hundred percent. Felt like it was a real genuine story. And remember, I mean, obviously at that time we didn't have the propensity and the urge for so much attention. You know, like there was no reason. Even Roosevelt opens up the chapter with, you know, a sentence about how frontiersmen by nature, and again I'm paraphrasing, but by nature they don't dwell in the world of the supernatural. This is not something they normally do. So hearing this story was uh, had a huge impact on him. And, you know, he felt like it needed to be told. And there was a reason because he was just, he just felt it instinctively that it was a true story, that whatever this thing was, was out there. So, I mean, I, you know, there's nothing about Roosevelt particularly seen at first hand, but it was through this guy Bauman. And I think a lot of people get confused because I think they feel like, you know, Roosevelt may have had an encounter but i think i don't i don't think that's the case you know me, you know just within all this research i found out yeah i mean to, to be honest i i read a lot of my bigfoot stuff a lot of years ago so i totally could have just went oh that was his story and completely forgot about Bauman. so that's sure like, sure yeah. um you know it's it's interesting about those stories so uh this guy his friend gets you know is is you know gets dead by essentially a, a sasquatch or that's the working theory or whatever can't they like why did no one find these bodies like not just the i'm not saying bigfoot bodies like the the body of his friend i mean it would have you know presumably hair and whatnot on it you know from being right. attacked well, by an animal I mean, we didn't have the type of analysis back then that we have now they probably you know bauman said that some big animal got him you know because what what bauman was describing was to roosevelt was they thought it was a big Indian at first. That, you know, from lineage in their vernacular, that's what they thought they were seeing. And then they realized it wasn't a man. Oh, and it, okay. It wasn't a bear, you know? Yeah. So there's no reason. Yeah. I was, because um, I, I know they did taxidermy and whatnot back in the day. But yeah, if they just thought it was a different tribe that they were unaware of, yeah, it's not like they're going to go through and try to get, you know, some hair or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, there's not enough details as to how, obviously, they must have, you know, retrieved the guy's body. I don't think they just left it there at some point, you know, or just maybe they did. You know, I, I, I'm i assuming maybe that at that time, we're a little, little different. Yeah. You know, someone died out in the wilderness. Maybe you just left him there like we do even now with guys who uh, die on Everest. You know, we don't go and retrieve the bodies. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's more of a, I just get annoyed that we've never found conclusive proof that uh, it's like, oh, there was a body right there. Come on, guys. <laughs> but you're right. It's pretty science, basically. I mean, there was science, but it wasn't. Yeah, they didn't have what we have now. What is a what did you say? Ape Canyon? What was that one? OK, well, in Mount in the 1920s, Mount St. Helens, there were several uh, prospectors working in a mine. And once again, these guys are out there. Of course, they're all carrying guns because, again, they're they're, you know, prospecting and they're there's obviously a potential wealth to it so they have to defend their their find uh or they're hunting for their food i mean this is in the 20s and one of these guys claims this guy fred beck came back and told the tale uh years later and even during that time as well and he says that something described as a sasquatch was peeking at them from behind a tree so 
Obviously, the first thing they do is pick up their guns and shoot it. <laughs> so they shoot this thing uh, and they kill it. They kill it. It falls over a precipice and dies, you know, or at least they think it dies. I mean, it falls hundreds of feet. So that night, they go back to their cabin, this little tiny cabin. And for, I think, was it 10 hours? It was described by Fred Beck. They were attacked by four or five different Sasquatch ascending upon the cabin on top of the roof, smashing and dropping rocks on it. They, one guy had got knocked out cold, and they were just shooting at these things all night long, and they were just attacking the cabin. Uh, and this story has been told for years. It was, oh, they came oh. back and, and again, they, you know, they weren't using the term, I don't believe they were using the term Sasquatch. And of course, Bigfoot wasn't coined yet. They were calling them giant apes, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if there's another, I haven't looked at the etymology of it, but that's sort of my neck of the woods. And there are a bunch of ape named places around there, like Ape Canyon. There's an ape cave. There's, um, there's another ape somewhere too. It was just an interesting naming convention that, you know, there are no apes in the new world. So wherever those names came from, they, it's not like they just decided to pick their favorite monkey from somewhere. Like it's in, it's in the air at least, or, you know, whoever named it was familiar with these things. Well, the, the, the resemblance of the Sasquatch or even like a gorilla is carved in native American carvings. And how do you explain that? I mean, you know, did someone show up with, did, where would they have seen one? Uh, so they're assuming that those carvings are representative of the Sasquatch-like, you know, tribes. And that's what generally, I, all right, this is my take on it. If it does exist, and I believe they do, just because of the research I've done and the, and the science that's available now, guys like Jeff Meldrum. I mean, if you read um, Sasquatch uh, Legend versus Science, I think it's called. Um, I'm familiar with the book itself. I'm just not uh, remembering the title exactly. But that's an incredible book. I mean, it's a straight up science book. It does have some stories in it, but it's very seriously and meticulously uh, configured uh, according to Meldrum's research. And he's head of anthropology at Idaho State University. So this is not some kook, you know, like he's he's the real deal. And he clearly believes it. Jane Goodall believes it. She doesn't she's not so outspoken with it, but she she has supported people like Meldrum. So. I'm leaning towards with all of the eyewitnesses and all, especially all over the world, but in this country, um, over the years, I'm leaning toward, yes, you know, there's something out there, but I don't think it's, uh, just some kind of wild animal that's just breeding and cause we would see so many more of them. What I think it's more like is like a different type of, you know, hominid, you know, intelligent, or at least semi and much more intelligent than a dog or a bear. Uh, and they, they have families, you know, and there's perhaps inbreeding or just breeding amongst the tribes or families. And that's why there aren't so many of them. And they've been able to perpetuate over the years because they live as like mountain men, you know, who could, you know, or small tribes in the Amazon still exist. And they've been able to perpetuate their tribes, you know, in, in smaller numbers. They're not like running rampant. And I think it's it's very much the same thing. They don't want to be found. They get seen every now and then, you know. But the people that are out there claiming that they hang out with them constantly, I I mean, you should see some of the emails I've been getting lately from people. I, 
you know, yeah, it's ridiculous. When when you mentioned you were gonna, this was gonna be your next document, your next film. I I kind of in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, he is gonna be inundated with psychic Bigfoots, you know, uh, UFO Bigfoots. I slept with a Bigfoot. Like there is a lot of those people out there. <laughs> yeah, no, there are. Don't get me wrong. There there's there are some really awesome people that I've been in touch with. I, what I'm referring to are, I think, there's some very bold. Uh, claims and no evidence whatsoever to back them up. And some and some of the emails I've been receiving, you know, some of these people basically make it sound too easy to spot them. And I'm sorry, but it's not. I mean, I've been out in the field already, and I just don't think that it's as easy as some of the folks that have been some of the folks that have been writing to me have claimed. Like it's just too easy to hang around them and observe them because. It would have happened already by uh, one of the anthropologists or, you know, some of the people who are out there constantly would have spent time around them. So just like with any of these things, you know, you get your share of people who just outright lie and have no problem doing it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that this whole thing is discredited. Like there's that guy, um, Bob Hieronymus, claims that he was the guy in the Patty suit in the Patterson film, the famous film. But if you read a book called When Roger Met Patty, William Munz's book on the analysis of the Patterson film. It's absolutely incredible. If, if it doesn't convince you, I don't think anything could, that that, what you're looking at in that film is real. And he he's a special effects makeup artist. He, he honestly lists the available uh, materials of the day and that there is no way you could have had muscle movement like it does in the video and breasts and all of these things it just couldn't it's not possible um and 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 the you know they measure the gait and the length of the arms and some of these things could have been faked but not the way Hieronymus claimed as if they were making some makeshift costume that Patterson threw together or something with horse fur I mean, there's just no way. There's no way it would have moved like that. You know, and those are the things that people need to realize. Yeah, there are people out there saying, oh, yeah, we hoaxed that. This was a hoax. But, it, okay, those guys are saying that. But you have to really check into it because I don't think there's any reason to believe Bob Hieronymus after doing your research further into the film. Yeah, that was the one that um, I, th I think it's the special effects guy you're talking about. I, I saw I was watching one of the Bigfoot documentaries over you know, years ago, and it was a special effects guy. I'm sure it's the same dude saying that, like that the year that this was filmed, if I worked at a major Hollywood studio and had the entire budget there, I couldn't have made that outfit. And this is a guy you yeah. know, it, with the technology of the time. And that won me over. I mean, that turned me from thinking... I never thought the Patterson given footage was, I never like a hundred percent believed it was bullshit, but I didn't think it was important enough to look at because it was, you know, it's old and there's so much controversy. But when a guy at the top of his field says with the technology at the time, with the materials available at the time, that suits impossible. That's, that's a big goddamn statement. You know, that's that you have to reevaluate that film a lot. And yeah, that was the one that kind of made me rethink the entire thing. Like, oh shit, there may actually be a Bigfoot out there. Yeah, you can see um, there's a couple of conventions with Munz uh, doing the full analysis. And I'm telling you, it's so convincing. The guy's so level-headed. He's very intelligent. He's very frustrated. You know, he, he does talk about being frustrated about people in the book and how, I mean, how could you just write it off? You know, you got to at least listen to some of these things because they're important. 
And um, I personally feel like I just don't understand why it's so far-fetched to believe we have, I, I think people take the world for granted and, and how incredible this place is. I, mean, I, mean, I suppose most people don't know all of, you know, they're not aware of what dwells in this world that we have footage of and that we have samples of and, and specimens of because some of these animals are a million times more extraordinary and bizarre than a Sasquatch, you know, like, I, so I don't find it hard to believe. And they were saying the same thing about the giant squid. It was a myth until what, like 15 years ago or something when they yeah. found one and they found another one. So, well, the, the Bigfoot one, the difference between the two is giant squid, like bits and pieces would wash up. And they're like, ah, you know, there's excuses, like saying it just happens to be a big squid. So it's more like, you know, it's let's wait till we find it. You know, there wasn't like a lot of people saying like, no, this is just 100% myth. It's probably, you know, what anyway, we, the fact that there's no Bigfoot body or no Bigfoot, like there's no proper hair samples have been taken to, you know, sequence DNA other than that bullshit Ketchum stuff. There's no body. We don't have any. Well, when I say this, I mean, I as, as playing devil's advocate. I'm not aware of any proper scat having been found, hair, uh, body, good pictures of it other than, I mean, I guess Patterson-Gimlin you can count and a few others, but if there's a population large enough for them to be a breeding population, which I don't know what those numbers are, you you may know, it seems like just with the technology we have now, every single person's walking around with, you know, a, a, what used to be a Hollywood studio in their pocket. You know, my cell phone's better than most 1960s you know, Universal Studios cameras. Sure, And yet sure. we don't have the, you know, the video or, or the body or anything like that. And I think that's the thing that, that's the thing that keeps me from going full out. Yes, I believe they exist. Cause it's like, there's a lot of fucking people around here. And, no, you know, I agree with you. I agree with you, but you got to take into consideration. All right. There was a location in New York. I'm, I live in Michigan now, but when I was in New York, uh, my family home, you know, I was there on and off for years. And in a 30-year period, um, I never, I knew they, they were out there and I saw them in other places, but I never saw a deer, okay? Wasn't until the 30th year that I was there one afternoon and it was foggy and I looked out into the front yard and there was standing a deer. And I used to hang out in the woods in the area too, but had never seen a deer in all those years until one that one day. So my thing is the majority, this is the major majority of people out there looking for the Sasquatch. They're not really doing it. They're kind of hanging out and camping and having snacks and, you know, telling stories, which is really important. It's fun. You know, it's great. But they're not seriously, it's not a serious expedition. People walking through the woods is not an expedition. Yeah. You need to have trained yeah. trackers. You need to have people know, to know what they're looking for. And this thing needs to go on for a month. And if you really want to find the thing. I mean, even um, Diane Fossey, when she was searching for the mountain gorilla, what was it like seven, at least seven days before she found anything? And she was in the vicinity for you know a long time. Yeah. I mean, to this uh, day, it's still like a two day hike just to get to their actual native habitat. Like, in, sure. You know. But I, I mean, I think that, like, that's a good point. Like, I mean, that's for the kind of casual person, but there are groups of people out there looking. And, like, the Gimlin thing, it's like there was just two schmucks with a camera riding a horse, and somehow this thing walks in front of them. And, and they the, were shooting a Bigfoot documentary. <laughs> yeah. So the, 
I think for the for kind of the the average person not paying attention to stuff, and and I pay attention enough that I kind of think it's there or something's there. But I think that's why it's easy to deny because it's, you know, you you would think that like, wait, there's one time this guy happens to have a camera, and now that everybody has cameras, we don't see him, and the lack of body. Because I know hunters. My grandfather was a hunter, and he always told me that you know, uh, not told me, but he's at times referenced that you can follow bears by looking for their shit, and you know what they do to trees as they walk by, you would think there would be enough kind of those type of people in the area that Bigfoot are, are meant to be in that, that the signs would be there on a, on a level that we can go, Oh fuck. Well now we can, you know, we know where to look or maybe you're right. Maybe you just have to do it for 30 days. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know. I mean, do they bury their shit? I mean, there are people that have claimed to have found it. Um, I don't, I, you know, I again, I'm running into all sorts of people. They have these claims. I mean, you know, one gentleman keeps sending me pictures. I can't, honestly, I can't see shit in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no offense to him, but yeah, you know, one minute it was a Bigfoot in a tree, and then the other one was staring at him from behind a bush, and I just couldn't. I'm sorry, but I just can't see it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of those out there too where. There's pictures where it it you may have a Bigfoot in that picture, but I sure as fuck can't see it. Now, I've also <laughs> been in the woods. Uh, I grew up in northern New Jersey, and I've been in the woods where I was like, oh, shit, there's a bear over there. And I probably could have seen it for, you know, I don't know, 200 feet before that point. But I'm totally I'm I'm woods dumb. So that very well may be a picture of a Sasquatch, but I I don't have the eyes to see that shit. You know, I, like I sucked at Where's Waldo. <laughs> well it's true and the thing is okay so is it possible that they bury their 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 scat that they have they they dwell in caves okay they bury their dead that's possible um they're much more intelligent than we're allowing them uh and then my other question is this could it Again, we're comparing them to animals and the way animal species breed. What if we think of them more as like a family or a couple of families hanging around each other, like tribes, as mountain men? And so the breeding population would be a little different, you know? It could be much smaller, just yeah. like a family breeds, you know? Like it might not be as much as we think. I don't know. And th there's a lot of isolated areas out there, and maybe they know how to hide. Yeah. I mean, one of the theories is is that it's it's what's it, Gigantopithecus or whatever, like some early sorta of, uh, Homo species. So yes. it would be pretty goddamn smart. I mean, not you know human smart, but uh, well, I guess they technically are humans, but not modern human smart, but a shitload smarter than yeah than a bear or whatever. And that's why you know because then maybe they were sophisticated enough to bury their dead, and that takes one very large confusion off the table. Because again. You would think you'd find a body, but yeah, if they are more like people than we're giving them credit for, maybe there's Bigfoot burial grounds somewhere. There could be. I think if we really want to find it, which part of me feels like maybe we shouldn't, um, you'd have to really, you'd have to think about it for a second. I, I think you have to go in armed uh, because I feel that the, you know, They've managed to defend their privacy for a long time if they are there. 
Of course, I'm sure there would be some kind of violent retaliation if we found where they were, you know. Uh, but then there are other people that claim that they're very peaceful and they hang out and visit the camp and leave offerings. And again, I don't mean to dismiss that idea. I'm just saying if it's happening so frequently like that and they're getting so close to you, you know, if you're one of these people, please, you know, like get a picture, do something, you know, like I just I keep hearing this a lot lately. Yeah. It's weird because like television portrays it to you as if. I mean, look, nine seasons of Finding Bigfoot. They need to rename that show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because they're not finding a goddamn thing. We suck at our but, jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for the people that I keep running into, a lot of them claim to have had full-on interaction with them. Like, you know, like Jane Goodall or Diane Fossey. And it's like, okay, so where's your cell phone in all this? Now, I've heard... <laughs> well, they're psychic, and uh, yeah. if they know you have one of these things on you, they're not going to show up. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that that's, works. That's the that's the thing. That's what we we're saying before is that uh, a lot of the people, and, and I, there may be people out there that are that are interacting with them. So I'm not I'm not painting everybody with this brush. But the, a lot of the stories I hear about. Bigfoot interaction that can be kind of uh, counted on in some kind of, you know, regular way at some point, the Bigfoot psychic or that it's, uh, you know, I've actually heard quite a few people think it's not from this dimension that it phases in like, and it may be, I'm not saying that's untrue. I mean, I'm never going to put any money on it ever. It seems not true to me, but Fine, if that's what happens. But it seems like I, I very rarely hear a rational, repeatable Bigfoot story of a, you know, it's just an upright something that, you know, because if it is repeatable, you could take a picture. Because at some point that comes up. Is that they're psychic or they're, I've heard that they're invisible, that, you know, there's so many of these weird things. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I Before, I, I can't jump to, I don't want to jump to that conclusion. I just feel like they're elusive. We have... Species that we know about, that we do have documents of, that these things know how to hide. So yeah. maybe, you know, this species is very good at hiding. Maybe it's the best. You know, maybe it just has the vantage point and knows what to listen for, uh, knows what to look for when someone's coming. Um, and it knows where to hide because it's out there all the time. It's not our perspective. You know, people, I think people enter the woods and think that every living creature has their perspective. But you have to imagine uh, only knowing the forest. So your senses and your relationship between it's going to be heightened. You don't know of our technology specifically, only what you may have seen in the distance. You don't know of our culture specifically, only what you've seen in the distance or heard in the distance. So it's like it's a completely different perspective. And I think that's where you might have to start if you're going to look for these things. But unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of goofballs out there that are either claiming found one, claiming to have killed one, claiming to have hung out with them and listened to the Grateful Dead, you know, yeah. like all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, the Bigfoot uh, braided their horse's hair. That's a weird one that shows up. Uh, I don't know if you've ran into that, that story. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a interesting overlap too with the Bigfoot stuff. And this is where I think, it might be a combination of there's actually something out there and 
that thing happens to fit in like one of our natural urges to kind of be myth tellers. Cause like, if you look at like old, like Irish fairy tales, they have, uh, they have the fae folk and what they did was they would show up and braid the, braid the horse hair. And then they've got like, Oh, if you leave gifts, they'll leave gifts back. They're really elusive. They're hard to find. Like there's a lot of these overlaps where it's almost like Bigfoot has just become almost our American mythology. So all the old tales that we would have told just kind of got overlapped on this thing and, you know, that's that's where a lot of these stories are coming from. And there may actually be just this seven foot thing out in the woods, but it's taken on mythic proportions because it is so el- elusive, you know? Yeah. And that's what I feel is might be detrimental because we're just trying to get our hands on some solid evidence that the thing is out there. Let's just start there. And then we get all of these different conflicting stories. Well, it's from another dimension. Oh, it's psychic. It knows when you're coming. It knows if you have guns or not. Hey, perhaps, but I don't think if, you know, I don't know. There's two, in the world of the paranormal and supernatural, it's like it's becoming to, 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 it's very overwhelming right now. And it's getting quite ridiculous at the level of, what people believe without any evidence it seems like any schmo can go online and tell you he's a guru and he's half you know he's from the the pleiades and he can grow spines on his back and fly and everyone will just be like you know he can fly and it's like have you seen him fly no but i believe him it's like oh okay well i i thought we you know we have some kind of sensibility that like maybe people should just show a little evidence before we believe them and not be so gullible all the time. There are incredible things in this universe and in this world. We're just insane, incredible things that we can prove and, and, and show you. And like, I don't need hard evidence for every little thing. I definitely take things into consideration, but it's haywire right now. It really oh, is. It's crazy. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been talking about this a bit lately on the show that a lot of the kind of the conspiracy theory stuff, and and I'm using that term very loosely. I'd even consider Bigfoot part of this. The alternate thought realm, you know, for lack of a better term, is they get really diluted and, and just it becomes difficult to try to study it in any kind of serious way because it is overwhelmingly, you know, if I try to look into Bigfoot, it's going to take me two minutes before I see him on a UFO. Or if I want to study about any kind of conspiracy theory, like let's say there's actually something funky about 9-11, which it doesn't matter which way you believe, but let's say I thought that and want to look into it. It's almost impossible now because it's just a wave of anybody that heard one thing once make putting up a website about it or publishing a book about it. And it's almost impossible to try to sift through that. And it becomes kind of this shrug your shoulder. Well, eh, this, this is... You know, we can't we can't look at it on a on a real scientific way. Well, it's not that you can't, but it's difficult. Yeah, so it's good well, that obviously you're doing something the movie, you something know. is strange with nine yeah. eleven. You know, things yeah. don't add up. But again, yeah, it it it's these ideas that the planes were cartoons in the sky, like all of yeah, this. You know, that it's kind like, of stuff uh, is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I just one recently is that um, it was uh, directed energy beam weaponry. From you know, it's some unknown government thing that is like really, that's that's where you jump to, you know. It's well, you know maybe that's uh, planted disinformation just to throw everybody off or misinformation, yeah, um, just to throw everyone off. 
So, yeah, that's that's my favorite theory about Alex Jones is that he's actually a government agent and he's the one kind of planted the seed to make everybody look ridiculous, which I... It's quite possible. Yeah. Look, I don't know his delivery sometimes, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, I can't, oh, I can't saying, say, I don't want to be like the conspiracy theorists and start saying that, but hey, this guy is, you know, in the public eye, I would be suspect right away of anybody that is majorly in the public eye like that, you yeah. know? Oh, I'm not even saying that's not true. I just love that that's where we are right now. Like, it's not, he may be a disinformation agent. I, I just, I just love that that's the conversation right now around Alex Jones of all people. It's just a, it's, it's more of like a joyous, like, oh, that's the world we live in. This is so strange. So you've gone. Yeah. Oh, it's extremely bizarre. Our world is extremely bizarre right now. Fantasy and reality have completely joined hands. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you've done some. I mean, you said you've done some filming. Have you done some, like, field looking for Bigfoot stuff yet? Yes. Yeah, if you check out the sneak preview, you'll see some of it. And I shot a lot more, obviously, than what you see in the in the preview. It's long. But, you know, I, I shot, I'd say, about a little more than a quarter of the documentary stuff in the, for the film already. Oh, cool. And some of the reenact stuff. But I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to acquire the the budget privately as possible. I'm putting a lot of my own money in, of course, I already have. And I just... Um, I feel like my structure is perfect for this, and I don't feel like there are many people who have the sensibility of television or whatever that might be able to invest in this at the moment that would understand it. And so I have to, I have to keep it independent completely, and that's why I, I started this. Yeah. So uh, how did how did the uh, basically what was it like in the woods looking for Bigfoot? Did anything happen? Did yeah. yeah, well, something was interesting. I could tell you. Okay, so what happened was uh, I was shooting all the footage with a guy named Joe Stewart. A little background on Joe. He was a, a hunter in the 60s who had an encounter. He saw one of these things. It certainly wasn't a bear. Guy saw bears. Wasn't a deer. Wasn't anything else. But what he saw was, an, I think, a nine-foot Sasquatch now, when you say uh, in the distance. You, like he saw it full out, like? full form be you know saw it saw it not like it was in the daytime okay he yeah. saw the thing walking in the distance walking yeah like proper saw it okay gotcha yeah <laughs> i mean i saw a bear in the wild at uh, yosemite and it was a bear there was no questions if and or but about it even if it was walking on its legs i would say that's a bear walking this is different when you you know when someone especially a hunter who's out there all the time sees one of these things it changed his life so again I'm 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 open to his story as long as he isn't telling me that you know Bigfoot is uh, teaching him how to do backflips and then they go into the other dimension together and then they come back. I mean, okay, but no, his stories are palatable because so he's ever since he's been out there trying to have another encounter and he did at one point where I, he he uh, told me a story of his camp being surrounded, which you could see some of that in the reel. Um, but the night I was there, so we went out to the area where he had this encounter. <clears throat> it was called Full Swamp, Northern Michigan. It's called what? Right Sorry, you dropped out a little bit. Uh, Foley Swamp. Foley Swamp, okay. It's one of the hot spots in the nation for you know these Bigfoot sightings. So we were out there. It's during deer season, uh, late October, actually Halloween, you know, just uh, end the day after and the day after that. So... Um, we're there. He's telling his story all day. We're shooting all day long. He's taking us to different places and places where he 
he had heard things or saw things. And so then we were going to a place called, or what Joe calls the field of screams, where usually he can hear things. We went out to the field of screams, didn't hear anything. You could hear a pin drop. It was so quiet. Sky was clear. Uh, obviously no hunters out there, nothing. It was getting very dark. And, um, and I, I recorded all of this, so you'll be able to see this at the very least on the extras, if not you know, partially in the movie. I don't want to make it like those TV shows, so I'm kind of keeping that stuff for the behind-the-scenes documentary. But so we got back out on the dirt path to head back in the direction of where we were parked, and I started hearing these screams in the distance. So immediately I'm like, you know, is that it? And he's like, no, 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 those are coyotes leaving the den. If you've ever heard that sound, it's awesome. It's just, uh, you know, this charge of energy and you're hearing them and they're all screaming. And so that happened. And then we walked back to where the car was. And again, this is deep in the middle of nowhere. You get to drive down dirt, dirt roads to get there and then you have to hike. So we get to where the car was parked and we're putting stuff up. And Joe uh, had this didgeridoo, you know, the instrument, the wind instrument. And he pulled it out, he blew into it, and he said he usually does this because he would hear something in the distance or a response if it's Sasquatch out there, if they're out there. It's a very rare occasion that he'd hear anything. So he did it twice, and then we waited in absolute silence, and then there was this owl call, okay? Now, I've heard owls growing up. I heard owls growing up. And immediately we both looked at each other like, okay, it sounded like an owl, but it, it wasn't an owl. Now, I can't tell you what it was, but Joe claimed that that's what they do. They imitate animals when they're communicating with each other. We heard crunching in the distance as if something was walking, something heavy, you know, uh, but slowly and stealthfully trying to approach us from the distance. And we heard these, this one owl call one and it was very strange and that's the i can say that was that was my encounter i don't know what it was joe felt that it was one of these things out there a sasquatch bigfoot i can't tell you what it was but it you know i mean being there was much more of a strange experience than talking about it i don't know if i'm giving it justice but yeah. i i find fascination in the in subtleties you know a lot of the time like it doesn't have to be this big grandiose event. I had a strange event happen when I was 14 where I was hearing whispering for two nights, you know. Uh, it was amazing. But sometimes when I tell the story, it's like, oh, you heard whispering. So you didn't see anything. It's like, I heard whispering, man. This was not coming from anybody. And yeah. I wasn't crazy. It was weird, you know, and it shouldn't have happened. It wasn't it wasn't natural. Yeah, the, so this this didn't feel natural either. The the owl, you know, the the owl in in, in quotes uh, cry. I much I know I have no reason to ever disbelieve you, but if somebody tells me something like that, I'm more inclined to believe them because it's not a sensational story. It's the you know I saw it with my own two eyes. It was ten feet away. I I the smell was there. When they give all the details that you read in every book, that that sends a flag up for me, saying like that's a little too extravagant that's a little too detailed but like yeah hearing an unnatural kind of owly call and response to me that's like oh shit that actually sounds that sounds sasquatchy or at least that sounds like something fucking with you and that involves intelligence so 
Yeah, it yeah. felt really strange, Alex. I'm telling you right now, it was it was very strange, but I can't say what it was. Could it have yeah. been a hunter out there and, you know, camping and they heard us? And yeah, it could have been, but we didn't see anybody. We didn't hear anyone. Yeah. Uh, so did you talk to it was uh, in the middle of nowhere. Did you talk to like uh, whatever the politically correct term is now, uh, uh, indigenous uh, people at all for this? I did. Well, okay, we stayed at this really interesting place, which you'll see in the reel. I was using it for a riff on the Abe Canyon thing called Millie's Cabin in Mayo, Michigan. And Millie's Cabin and several of the cabins on this campground are notoriously haunted. And so it started off talking to the locals who run the whole area, uh, uh, telling us that there's a ghost of a little girl. She cries in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yeah. So I was waiting to hear that one all night long, but it did have a strange vibe, but it was comforting anyhow. Um, but I asked about the Bigfoot stories and yeah, you know, I was talking to them a little bit about them and they said hunters have seen things, you know, and a lot of people come out here to kind of search around in Foley Swamp and the stories have been told for years by different people. So different people have claimed to have seen them out here. You know, the same old story that anyone's going to tell you. Even with the, my research on Montauk, it was like, I spent a lot of time in that library. I interviewed so many locals. You didn't see it in the film, but I just felt like it was kind of pointless to pack you up with all these same expressions, same answers. Like, well, something could happen over here. I don't know. I never experienced it myself. It's like, how many, how many times are you going to put someone in a movie saying that? Yeah. Just to prove that you spoke to the locals? I'm telling you, they didn't, get, they didn't say much. But if you press them a little bit, then you'd start to get things out of them. The one person that really gave me something when I was out in Montauk, she didn't want to be on camera. It was the, uh, at the time at least, the archivist at the Montauk Library. And uh, she said that when she was a young girl, you know, or younger, maybe teenage, uh, there was something weird happening in the town. Everybody was having these headaches. The televisions would freak out. The animals would freak out. Because at first she was like, this is all, this isn't real, you know. It was just a, it was just a covert, you know, uh, Air Force station for a while. And then, of course, they revealed themselves to the public. And, uh, you know, that's all it was. I said, so nothing weird? Nothing happened? She said, well, there was this one time. And, oh, as I recall, when I was a little girl, a lot of the time people were having these bad headaches. And, okay, so now we dig a little bit. She puts a guard down. She starts to tell me. Still wouldn't go on camera, though. Um, and most other people out there, I kept running into people that were there to explore the base, heard about the legend, stuff like that. And it was getting a little too uh, Blair Witchy for my taste. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I didn't want to resemble that. Movie was already made. No reason to make that. Yeah. So talking. So you didn't really didn't really have the time to kind of sit down and press some hunters, you know, uh, native uh, uh, indigenous hunters. I mean. I have an opportunity to go to Upper Peninsula, Michigan, because remember, we're still shooting this movie. So yeah. um, on the next tier and actually speak to a tribe. Oh, cool. So, yeah. and, I, and, I'll, and I'll talk to them and I'll ask them. A lot of them, you, if you notice, don't show up in those television shows because they don't want to. They don't want to. I mean, trust. I mean, look, a lot of there's some good TV people out there, some really good people. But there's also the opposite of that. And. They 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 very quickly will rub someone the wrong way because they're not they don't know how to behave they don't know how to treat people yeah. very nasty selfish 
group of people uh, that work in the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I've I've heard tell. <laughs> I saw this. Uh, um, the reason, it, so the 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 Native American angle of it is, of course, that's the you know that's the one you hear a lot of stories of. But I I had uh, watched this documentary. I don't remember what it was, but it's about the uh, in the Puget Sound, some Puget Sound sea monster, uh, you know, Seattle area. And they talk to one of the kind of tribal elder guys. And he's like, oh, we call it this thing. And he brings him up on this cliff and this like ancient glyph of this sea monster thing is like carved in the rock. I'm like, that's fucking fantastic. And that's kind of why I asked. It's like, you don't see a lot of that with Bigfoot documentaries. Like, you don't get that, that, uh, you know, the Native American input. And I was like, I wonder if it's, if it's just legend that they are well-versed with these guys or is it that they're just being quiet or, you know, and, or as you pointed out, whether it's just shitty, you've had enough experience with shitty entertainment people that they just don't want to deal with it anymore. At the very, okay. So if we rewind back, let's say in the early nineties and before that, or even the mid nineties or even up to the two, early two thousands, all you really had on TV in, in regard to the paranormal were a few programs. Before the 90s, maybe two or three primetime programs like Unsolved Mysteries and Sightings and sh stuff like that. Uh, but now it's in abundance. And so it's really kind of watered down and the quality is watered down. I mean, I shot a pilot over the summer. They, I was invited by a pretty big production company to go shoot this pilot. And I was the host and all stuff. And wasn't a fun experience i'll tell you the truth i mean like some of the people are good people it was a mixture of really good people and other people that were less desirable in my opinion and i don't would never work with them again ever you know but right now i'm collaborating with a production company that are great guys they're they're based out of texas and um they've made programs for the history channel before and they're really awesome guys i, I get along with them we're developing a montauk show you know based off of my what we did in in my movie oh cool and, um, you know, they have good ideas and they want to make really great program. But then there's this other group of people who all they care about is, um, you know, quantity over quality. And that's not how that's not why I'm making things. These people just they don't give a damn. They just want their paycheck at the end of the day. They don't care about what quality They don't care if they lie. That was my experience with the pilot. It was all made up. And that's why I was angry and I didn't want to come back. I was like, no. That's not going to be me. I will not be one of these tools, which I've, who, you know, a few people who host or ho have hosted these shows and I, they'll go nameless right now are fake, man. They'll yeah. sit there and say, well, I was at this and I was at that and I was in the FBI. Don't believe it for a second. It's not true. Yeah. There's a, um, uh, again, not naming names because I heard this from somebody that's, you know, one step away, but uh, talking about uh, the one of the Bigfoot shows, uh, maybe it's not just specifically Bigfoot, but I'll just refer to it that way, that uh, he was just telling me how much of that is absolutely staged. Just there's a production guy on the other side doing the tree knocking, doing complete like it's fraud. I, it's, uh, yeah. I can tell you from my own experience shooting a pilot for the History Channel, it is staged. Yeah. A lot of almost all of it is. I I mean, I'm sorry, but it is. And I'd like to change that. You know, believe it or not, as stylistic as Montauk was, I didn't stage any of the documentary stuff. I can show the rough. If you have the Blu-ray, you could see it in the extended interviews. They're, they're impossible to stage. There was a very natural flow to the questions and, and the answers. And it was just. You know, perhaps the way I edited it and it looks really nice that some people think it was a mockumentary, you know, but it wasn't. It's just I'm good with the camera. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I'm not going to shoot a piece of garbage. 
Well, I thought that's so, why. Know what I'm doing. I thought that's why that was effective in a lot of ways too. Is that you didn't have to kind of. I mean, I don't want to. I don't. It's hard to word without sounding like I'm insulting people, but like, I think a lot of documentary stuff they don't have enough, so they end up kind of faking it or and and getting a little shitty. And that's why I like that you had a lot of reenactment stuff because it it didn't make me it made the documentary angle of it more real to me because it's like oh this guy doesn't need to put this you know you don't need to fake something if you've got enough you've got all this other you know dramatic reenactment material that looks great why would you bother to go back and you know invent the documentary angle you know what I'm saying like right and I was yeah. and again here's the other thing I didn't shoot the cinematic stuff at Montauk as filler. I mean, if you're not interested in it, that's fine. But I shot it because that's what I wanted to make. I had at least three hours with each of my subjects, at least three. This is a two-hour movie. There were four subjects, at least three hours with each of them. I had plenty of material. If all you wanted to do was see interviews, I could have made that movie. Yeah, that's but the other yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the other <laughs> side of it. There's either the people that kind of fake it, and then the other side is the Oh, let's just have a camera still in front of this guy for six hours straight, which... Well, those are the yeah. movies that win awards at the International UFO Congress, you <laughs> exactly. know, like six yeah. hours of people sitting in a chair yeah. talking. That's not a movie. That should not, that's not a film festival. I've been in that... I was in that festival twice and nominated for the best picture and would lose to, you know, no offense, but lose to uh, documentaries that were just interviews, mainly, you know, and the same stuff over and the same people, the same five people that you keep seeing over and over again all the same experts nobody's a ufo expert yeah. i'd like to meet one i uh i had a really great experience uh well after you and i spoke well not a great experience but it's a great experience for complimenting your your previous film i was going through youtube and just watching various documentaries and i'm using that word very very loosely and i stumbled on one where it's this guy just kind of yammering for an hour and a half and I'm looking at his earring and thinking how infuriating it is. And I'm like, oh my God, that's infuriating earring guy from the Montauk movie. Uh, what's his name? Swerdlow? Stewart, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I called him infuriating earring man in my head. It just, his earring got on my nerves. Uh, again, I'm, I'm on, on a neutral plane and I can yeah. understand why anybody that is making those outrageous claims could infuriate you but why um oh no just his earring honestly he seemed fine it oh was his just, earring <laughs> for some reason just the earring just really got on my nerves he he was fine i liked him in your film like he was he was very listenable but some other filmmaker decided and maybe it was him uh decided a great documentary would be just kind of staring at him for an hour and a half and boy, yeah no i saw compelling. again Stuart, <laughs> preston and al do not come across as they do in my film and anyone else's interviews yeah I have not found one yet where they come across the way they do in my picture. And it's because, again, it's a reaction to the environment that I created for them in that moment in time to make them feel comfortable enough. Alfred's, Alfred's interview is very old. It was shot in 06. I shot it in 06 for the first Montauk movie that I made. And Alfred died, so I couldn't reshoot it. But I reshot Preston's interviews and I reshot Stewart's. And I was determined for the second time around that I was going to remake this whole movie after all those years. I could have just released it, but I didn't. Was that I really wanted to get something out of them emotionally because we have what's frustrating to me about all of them is that we really don't have any evidence. We just have their word. And sometimes their word is very thin, doesn't have a lot of details. And I had brought this up a few times before. When I was 23, I found my best friend, you know, a great friend of mine at the time, dead, okay, of a drug overdose. I remember how horrible that situation was. 
I carried his body out of a bed. Uh, it was it was awful. I'll never forget it. It, it. And I remember every detail. I can sit and tell you everything of that room because it's what I'm saying is it was an extraordinary and tragic experience. Yeah. So if you had been in a facility where people were being beaten, raped, and murdered in front of you, and there were aliens, you better be able to tell me some fucking details. I mean details. Not, well, you know, you better be able to tell me some serious, infinite details because I can tell you details of things I've experienced for sure. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. So, you know, and it's uh, my point of bringing that up was it's this this experience that leaves the impression. So a lot of the time I go off of emotions because they didn't have uh, any evidence at all. Preston doesn't have any evidence. Stuart doesn't have any evidence that he went through these things. He has his word. So we have to look at his expression. We have to, you know, we have to make him feel comfortable enough to where he is expressing some emotion where he feels comfortable enough to talk to me, where he's comfortable enough to just tell me the story. Let me ask you questions. Of course, there were things in, in everyone's story and, and that I interviewed for Montauk that were just, I'm sorry, but like were just, un, at this time, unbelievable. Um, but I didn't rule out that maybe they were part of this program and that some of that stuff was hoaxed on them. You know, as as a smokescreener, as a part of the cover up. So I, I was thinking about that for a long time. Like, did they really see what they thought they saw? Was it staged because they were given drugs or yeah, you know, yeah. memory that, was manipulated? I mean, possible. It's weird how that shows up sometimes too. Like, uh, I can't think of the what's the fellow's name? You you know the UFO stuff much better than I do. The guy that supposedly worked in the underground facility and he worked on zero point energy. Um, He's a, oh, his name's super famous. I can't think of it. Um, anyway, he, he was talking about, uh, all this kind of future attack anti-grav stuff, um, that the aliens were working on. He was there to reverse he was, He's alive right now, this gentleman? I, I think so. Is it Stanton Friedman? No, no, no. That's, that's, no, no. That's that heavy set ufologist guy. Um. Yeah. Uh, no, no. This is, oh, Jesus. Sorry. I can't think of his name. But anyway, the point is he started telling the story back in like the seventies and maybe the eighties or something, but started over the years, it seemed like some of the stuff getting added to it um, seemed less and less believable. And that seems to be like this trope that happens. And it, I almost, I'm almost curious if like the, in the same way you're talking about the, the, the interviews from your first film, that maybe it's like, it, that is kind of part of the, the government experience is like, it almost is like setting up things that are too unbelievable. So your story loses any kind of credibility. Yeah, I, 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 that's after all of these years thinking about it, researching, and I did real research. You know, it's funny, you know, it doesn't happen often. Most people are very supportive of Montauk Chronicles and enjoyed the movie and got great information out of it. But then every now and then you get some weirdo that writes to me and is like, why didn't you tell the full story? I'm like, where, did, first of all, my movie tells you more than any of those books, any YouTube video. I've seen all the YouTube videos. And the thing is, you're getting a unique investig a real investigation. Like I was there, you know. Like they don't get it. They're like on YouTube watching these recycled videos and thinking that's investigating. That's not. It could. It's part of 
your research end of the investigation to ingest as much material as possible. But what I made for you was original. I didn't go, you know, download anything off of YouTube. Everything you see in my movie is something that I shot, something that part of an interview that I conducted. It's original. You know, it's real. It's right there. And I'm bringing you into like people's homes and bringing you, you know, having them tell these stories. And the stories that the three men that made this story possible, the guys that are in my movie, by the way, uh, it's translated verbatim. The things that they're saying is the images that you're seeing in Montauk Chronicles are exactly what these guys are telling you happened. So whenever I ask one of these jokers that, you know, and it, and it doesn't happen much, but every now and then it happens. Okay, first of all, find the better movie than mine because it doesn't exist or the better document. Second, what is the real story because you, you're so angry that I didn't tell it. Tell me what it is. No one ever answers me. Hiya. <laughs> is there in the in the dissenting voice uh, that you hear sometimes? Which, by the way, just because I am nitpicking, uh, mostly the guy's earring. Sure. I, just reminder: really loved your movie, and everybody at home. Listen, the first time he was on, I was glowing. So just, I, you know, it just, I, I can't just sit here blowing you the whole time. Um, hey, I love the movie. I'm a grown man. I put it out in the world. I, I made it twice. And this yeah. is the movie I felt after doing all the research that this is the, the movie, man. No one's going to be able to top it because guess what? Al, are coming back. You're never going to get an interview like mine. And Preston's not going to be here for very long. And I have yet to see an interview with Stuart like the one in my picture. And I don't see anybody making reenacts like I did. So, you know, yeah. find a, there is no better movie at this time. I'd like to see one, though, and I, I hope somebody makes one and keeps going with it. You know, we're doing this. We're going to try and do this show, and it would be an extension of my work on the film for sure. What's, what's the – if you're doing the show, is it what's the kind of style of it? How is it going to work? Montauk, as I covered it, is the nucleus. Uh, and what we're going to cover, I guess – episodically would be and this has been the you know the rolling discussion and I'm signed on as an executive producer we would try and discover all related possibilities like the dozer school look back into mk ultra again anything oh. that could be connected to uh, brookhaven labs anything connected to the base at camp hero anything that could have been happening simultaneously around the country around the world you know all good ideas yeah, that's that's no one's cool. done. It. Yeah, and I'm sure you can dig up some stuff no one's ever heard of based on that too. Like, I'm sure there's some kind of declassified Russian document somewhere that you're going to find a weird echo of Montauk in. You know, I think I'm pretty close finding. Again, here's another subtlety. I think I may have told you this. I did talk about it on a couple of other programs. Is that after I was on Coast to Coast last year, there was a person that contacted me who worked for a major uh, chemical company. This chemical company uh, provided things for the military, things for the military, and most likely this chemical company financed a good deal of the so-called Montauk project. I don't believe it was financed with Nazi gold. That's the silly story that was put out there. Oh, I think yeah. it was financed by this chemical company. It makes a lot of sense. And so this person who really does check out and who really did work there and does not want to be revealed uh, as to who they are, notice how I'm not saying name or sex or location. Um, they have a pension and they don't want to lose it. So they gave me a lot of details. Here we go again with details. 
Usually when someone's lying, the stories are very thin. When they're a really bad liar, they're going to tell you like the worst cheap-ass science fiction story they can think of. But when someone is telling the truth, the details are going to flow organically. And that's what was happening when this person contacted me. Details were flowing organically. Dates, places. And so they claimed to have seen documents while they were working at this chemical company because they were the trusted assistant of one of the major people over there. CIA documents with Camp Hero listed on it and Brookhaven Labs and names that Preston Nichols has mentioned in the past. And they were sending a highly experimental alloy and other chemicals to Camp Hero when Camp Hero should not have been receiving things like this and wow. Brookhaven Labs. So that could be the little tiny paper trail that leads to the truth. I'm not, I'm, I'm looking more at stuff like that than, you know, trying to find a portal underneath the rock out yeah. in Montauk. That's intense, though, especially if the names line up. I mean, that's 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 pretty goddamn. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I'm not. I, I can't, I'm not saying the name. Oh, but obviously, I'm sure yeah, no, I just mean, yeah. out of the chemical company, and again, that has its own weird, tragic tale surrounding it. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. Uh, yeah, well, I hope that works. So, just because I'm 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 was bothering the hell out of me. Bob Lazar was the guy I was trying to think of. Okay, Bob Lazar, yes. Yeah, it's just, you know, he's the guy he has been in the community forever. I just couldn't think of his stupid name. Um, so I keep going. Now I'm like, ooh, UFOs. All right, so UFOs oftentimes are seen near Bigfoot. So back to Bigfoot. Like that segue? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, back, back to Bigfoot. And again, you know, I, I'm probably going to speak to... The reason why is that on all these shows, we keep seeing the same people telling those particular stories, and maybe it would lend to a series. But personally, I feel before I'm going to tell any of those stories, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit of that kind of interdimensional idea because it's out there. So I want to yeah. cover everything. But I want in my movie, I'm covering this rich history through these several stories that I felt are landmarks in the lineage, you know, in that in the entire provenance of this thing, you know, in the history, I feel like the stories that I'm telling in Bigfoot are important. They're not just entertaining, they're not just interesting, but they're important because they each describe a very particular aspect of this and that there were credible people and that, you know, the timing of it all and why would someone come back and say all these things. So it's, it's all going to be in there. And then in, the idea was to tell you the campfire stories, illustrate them for you. And then in the last act, let's bring you through and reveal to the audience that there is a science right now. There are things being discovered. Think about the prints, the dermal ridges on the prints, the locations of some of these prints that have been found and casted by the right people that know how to do it. You know, uh, Jeff Meldrum, I spoke to him. I think, uh, you know, again, he's apprehensive about these things because he's been rubbed the wrong way by television. And yeah, he's horror gotten, movies and, you know, he's gotten screwed I'm, over a lot like that. I, that's a dude I super respect. And I've seen him in some, you know, like that first season, of Ancient Aliens, where they got real people on it and then they just hack edited them and it was embarrassing. I've seen that done to Meldrum before. And yeah, that's sorry. I just I feel I feel for that dude because he gets dragged into these awkward situations like he's this he's a serious researcher, like the guy's a literal phd like i mean he's a he's a, he's a serious man he's not yes, he's not he letting catch him you know or Mel his, catch him, his book is amazing yeah. his book on you know his sasquatch book is amazing and again i was chatting with him online 
and just kind of talking to him and he wasn't interested at first because he saw the preview reel and again he's very ultra sensitive to this stuff so uh you know my reel has some suspenseful stuff in it or horror-esque stuff but a lot of the stories most of them that i've read you know could fit in that realm they're terrifying so i'm sorry but my i told him look i'm not ashamed to make a suspenseful film because you know I, what I said was, please don't forget what drew you into this in the first place. He's been drawn into the subject matter since he was a kid. And what drew him in as a kid was the mystery, was the suspense of it all. And it wasn't what he's studying now. It's evolved over the years for him because he's already gone through all this. And now the way he sees it is stripped away of all the sensationalism, all of the suspense, and is literally only interested in seeing a motion picture like you would if you were following following um, Diane Fossey around. But what I told him was, look, we can't do that right now. You know, let's, I said, what I'd like to do is take you through the history, through the campfire tales, and then bring you into the light in the end. And then maybe we can hook up a, a true expedition. But the first volume, I, I it's quite important and criminal to ignore and put it in a movie like no one has before, and that's what I'm doing. You know, like I'm really working hard for this. I've done my research consistently for, you know, quite some time now, and really something that I want to do. It's like, you know, I, uh, you know, cashing in isn't even a thing in my mind. You have to work so hard and spend so much money to make these things, and it's still no guarantee. I mean, I work constantly. So there's nothing, it's not about money. I could go do something else to go make a ton of money. I have a lot of energy and you know, my mind works, my body works, but this is something I really want to do. And I feel like it's an, it would be an important film. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm going to make. Yeah, no, it's great. It sounds fucking terrific. What was the, Thanks. so what was the, go over the three, what was the third story? Uh, did we do all three of the, well, the there's a few more in there, but the ones I, I want to talk about tonight are, um, the Bauman tale, the ape Canyon story, which I was discussing earlier with yeah. you. And then I want to portray that day in October that Patterson and Gilmore oh, yeah. were shooting their documentary. I want to have a good actor play Patterson and good actor play Gimlin and bring you right there at Bluff Creek and really make you feel this thing and, and, and not portray these people as caricatures. You know, Roosevelt won't be portrayed as a caricature. Bauman won't be portrayed as a caricature. I want them. They were real people. So, every, you know, we're going to try and get the best performances possible out of these actors and not insult you. They're not going to feel like reenacts. They're not going to feel like that. It won't be that way. You know, it's, I think we need to change the form a little bit of these, these films and the approach. And also, you know, again, like I'm not here trying to insult people, but you have to understand that, that some of these people who are creating these programs, it's not in your best interest. They don't really care. They're just trying to slap them out so they can get you to watch, get their advertising money, get the money to make the next one. They don't really care, you know? Um, so, and they're trying to draw it out as much as possible, you know, for like, what would they do if they actually found one? Yeah. Be the end of a, yeah. end of a empire. There'd be 13 shows would be canceled immediately. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe, you know, like, understanding bigfoot would be the next series yeah. yeah 
I, they, I don't yeah, know. a lot of those are. I mean, I, I've not seen a lot of them because they all seem to be the same. I don't know if the same production company, but it's the same company that's like, hey, two burly guys are crossing their arms across their chest, and now they're either going to hunt Bigfoot or work at a pawn shop. It's like the exact same <laughs> setup, and I just... I, I, I'd rather read a book on the subject than that. You, you, know? you know who I feel bad for? Some of the people that are kind of locked onto some of these shows because they're not happy. I mean, they're, you know, the money's good and, yeah. and they're doing it, but they damn well. Look, all you have to do is listen for a moment. Do people really talk like that? No, yeah. they don't. It's scripted. They're being told what to say. It's They're making it up a lot of it as they go along, and a lot of it is – scripted and the ideas are scripted and sometimes they're not even the locations that they're saying they're in think about it you know it's like yeah you know the establishing shots for the location but then they'll go shoot in a forest in a completely different state and tell you they're somewhere else so just saying yeah yeah it's it's that one forest from the x-files up in vancouver where everybody shoots (laughs) so uh yeah i mean it's just not not as it seems did you look into melba ketchum at all no, but I I I I'd be happy to. No, what did Melba? Claim? Oh no, no, you don't you don't want to. She's she's terrible. Um, I mean, maybe you do. Sorry, I don't mean to speak for you. She a few years ago, she claimed to have found. Uh, she sequenced Bigfoot DNA. Um, not. I mean, she sent it to a proper lab to sequence it, and she put out in heavy quotes a scientific paper on it, and the paper was printed in this uh, publication that I think it was. That was the first issue of it. It was all. It was just. It stunk of of. It just stunk. It there's and her result was like it was part lemur, part bandicoot. Like it was just it was just complete nonsense. But it was a pretty big story for a second a few years ago. And um, she's her face has kind of popped up all you know over the over the Sasquatch community for a while. Yeah, you know it's some of these people are good people and good credible people, and some of them you know like they this gentleman. Um, it's John Teeter, a gentleman that they they had on uh, uh, Art Bell's former show the That's other the night. That's the time travel dude? Yeah. Well, my question is, what is it that convinces everybody with these guys? You know, some of these guys. It's like I've seen – and again, I'm trying to be fair. So some of the gentlemen who have lectures, okay, that claim they're reincarnated psychics, you know, famous psychics or – they have special powers and they've been here and been there. And it's like people will flock to these lectures. And I'm telling you, I've been to them too. And there's nothing believable about this, some of these people. You know, like they're, they're really lying to you. They're, they're giving you the business. And then there are people out there who you should listen to, who've had genuine experiences, who have a lot of information to give and you can learn from them. So it's like I'm thinking guys like, William Munns, you should listen to. Jeff Meldrum, you should listen to. In the ufology area, you know, uh, Barry Taff is an interesting guy. He has a lot of good stuff to talk about. He's somebody to talk to. Um, you know, and then, of course, Travis Walton. Um, you know, Edgar Mitchell, who just passed away. He was someone to listen to, in my opinion. You know, so there's some really credible people out there that have told these stories. And I'd say let's stick with them yeah. and not celebrate, uh, you know, clear and present liars. You can't keep giving them money. You can't keep encouraging them to take your money away from you or keep lying. You know, I mean, some of these people are just – it's very obvious that they're not 
telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, on, on the, on the larger scale, there was that, uh, the, what was it? Texas Bigfoot, that really fake one that, that what was that about four or five years ago? Where was yeah, that? You had Huffington yeah. Post giving that a lot of attention. Yeah. My thing yeah. is, if you know it's a hoax, you know, you know this guy's faking it. Don't give him any attention. Don't give him an opportunity to speak. There are much more interesting stories out there to report. But, you know, who knows why those decisions are made? Yeah. He's a little nefarious, in my opinion. Well, you know, sometimes they're hard. Like the Ketchum story was because she did actually – I think she was just uh, – I, I don't think she was being – I don't think it, it was on her. I think she's just got obsessed with the topic and, and you know – you can't see out of it, you know. You just get so focused in. And she thought she sure. had, uh, she actually thought she had DNA. And when they published the results, it was just craziness, you know. But um, what do you think about? Uh, so this just got me thinking about the um, the Meldrum. What do you think about the other kind of Bigfoot esque creatures? Like I know the one, uh, the uh, Orang Pendek in wherever that is, Indonesia or whatever. That's another sure. one that people are saying that like that actually probably exists. That's probably like an actual you know, thing. And there's the Yowie in, in Australia. And there's, a, you know, a bunch of, there seems to be a lot of these around the world. Do you think there's other yeah, like viable even ones? This, even yeah. in this country, uh, what was it? The Genwaska, Genwaska, that's, you know, been described in Native American tribes or Iroquois um, tribes as a very vicious, violent Sasquatch. So I think maybe you know anybody that had a violent attack could have been a completely different breed or family or tribe you know i mean yeah. um and then in regard to the things around the world this is another reason to believe you know i mean like joseph campbell would tell you it's our collective unconscious us you know our primal selves as we're gearing away from our primal selves we're just establishing that as a fear as a boogeyman and we keep seeing it in the woods i'm sorry but have you you know then wouldn't we all as a species have this issue start seeing big hairy men in the woods and under our beds uh, we don't so you know it's unique situations by some really good people that have seen these things and same with you uh ufology um you know, I have a someone that's very close to me that had a, an abduction experience. I believe 100% there's no way, uh, there's no way that it's a lie. No way. It's true. So, you know, and there's incredible people, incredible people. So the, the idea is I feel like we need to call out the people who are credible and focus all the energy on them and not allow... Uh, you know, the idiots to become famous, which is, it seems that's exactly what happened. Like, it seems like the idiots are celebrated. And then you have these stuffy little circles of people who just enjoy, you know, eating hors d'oeuvres and drinking with each other and going to these conventions. Then you have people that like to get the job done. And I think we need to focus on the people that are getting the job done, people that are out there in the field, like me, you know, yeah. or like other people that are like really like Jeff Meldrum, you know, in his field, in my field, it's filmmaking, but I'm focusing on this subject. I'm really trying to do something incredible with it. I don't particularly like going to conventions and hanging out and eating words and acting like a jackass. So I like making this stuff and then moving on and making more stuff. You know, that's what I like to do. So I think we should focus on those people. And then I think you'll see uh, new evidence show up and new ideas and things will happen. But if we celebrate 
the goofballs that are out there consistently, you're just going to be lining their pockets. That's it. You're just going to be making those people rich. You're going to give them fun weekends because they'll all expenses paid to the, you know, the UFO conventions where they can sit and tell you the same stories over and over again and go hang out with their buddies. And that's what they do. So, I don't know. yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the problem is it's with everything is, uh, doing it properly takes time and is often there's a lot of uninteresting stuff that happens before the interesting thing. Like, you know, Meldrum has to do actual science and yes, we've been, does. we've been trained as a society right now that, you know, actually, you know, did not respect actual science because that takes time and you have to reproduce every result that it's actually, you know, it's, it's laborious and you know, th- th- that's great. I mean, it is, I sounded sarcastic there. I literally mean, that's great. The science is wonderful, but <laughs> it's the, the headlines is tough. Cause it's not like, you know, you're going to have a headline like, you know, test number three came back with a statistical average of plus minus 0.3, which says this could be a thing. You know, that's not, you know, that's not going to grab HuffPo. Well, the idea is now, okay, this is where you tap into your creativity and yeah, that's where you come in. ask yourself, how do we, the information that you just laid out hypothetically, how do we take that and make that entertaining enough or interesting enough for people to keep coming back for it? And um, I think the way to do that is to just do it. And don't, okay, don't try and, when there's an organization, and some of the organizations are very well put together and all, but some of them I think are detrimental to these studies because what ends up happening is it just becomes a clubhouse. We don't need a clubhouse. You know, these things are available to everyone and should be. We don't need to get clearance. I don't need to get clearance from anybody to make my Bigfoot movie. I'm making it and I'm going to get it out to everybody and I'm going to put it out to the world. So, I think the same thing should go with your research. If you feel like something should be done that's not being done, don't try to get clearance by any of the any of the clicks that surround the research. It doesn't belong to them, no matter what they tell you. So avoid that stuff and conduct your own research, and then put it out in the public. We have all these incredible social networks now, and, and great shows like this where we can talk about what we're doing, and someone's going to listen, and people will spread it around, and you spread it around, and it's like. You know, you don't need to be because some of the some of the clicks and stuff are so you know they have all their rules, but then all you see is like these hokey like they're posting pictures of Bigfoot sweaters and bumper stickers gone squatching, and it's like this isn't what is this? You know, this is supposed to be a sophisticated you know study. So let's do it. Yeah, my job as a filmmaker is to keep you watching. If my job was just to shoot interviews and put them out there, it'd be a lot easier and a lot cheaper for me to do, and it would take less years. So my job is to make a motion picture experience, visual, sound, emotional. That's what a filmmaker is. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing my job. And so if you don't want that experience, there are plenty of good books out there. But if you're interested in that, come and check out my work because that's what I'll be doing for the rest of my life is making these movies. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. I keep doing Thanks. it. <laughs> that's we need, we need more of that because I, I, I assure you the – I've I've run out of of things to watch, and it's just I'm waiting for you to make more. That's 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 gonna be my life now. I'll oh, keep following, yeah, thank I'll, you. I'll keep following oh, you around, oh. waiting for the next one. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that more people, and I think they will, will catch on and not listen to the rules so much because the rules are bullshit. They're not, they're designed by people who are trying to keep guys like us out 
and um, I, it's not going to hold much longer, you know. I, stuff like that won't hold anymore. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah, I mean, I want I, you know maybe your next one, but I want somebody to make a good documentary about East Eddy Ranch because apparently stuff happens there and it's reproducible, and I don't understand why there's not a really good documentary about it yet. Yeah, well, I you know send me anything because I'm uh, you know I was interested in the Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, that one's bit. really neat too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the, you know, there's so many. Again, here we go with the clicks and the infighting and the politics, and I just didn't want to get involved with people's, you know, lack of imagination and enormous egos. So, oh well, um, I'm gonna, well, I'm pitching you for your next documentary type thing to figure out East Eddie Ranch. They have a, they, their their website is terrible, but the story is actually interesting. I'm gonna give you the link uh, in the text thing here on Skype. Um, there, uh, it's, it's super interesting story. Apparently people can basically make UFOs appear and that sounds silly, but there's a shitload of videos of it. I don't know what they're doing, but it's something's happening there. So it's one of those things that's like, oh, I have to wade through this miasma of garbage. I'd need somebody to filter it for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, man, send me, send me any of that stuff. Uh, I'm happy to look at it. You know, I have ideas for future pictures, obviously, but I'm always consistently open to hear about anything that I haven't looked at. And if I get excited to do it, then I'm doing it. Yeah. The East Eddie thing is, you know, the only, the only deal is you got to keep a really open mind at first because boy, does no one know web design and it is, it is something to take seriously because it looks like it's made of GeoCities and sometimes that can turn you off immediately, <laughs> but yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to Indiegogo. Is that the one? Yep, Indiegogo.com. Just search Bigfoot, and I should be the first thing that comes up. You'll see the poster of the Bigfoot peeking from behind the tree. And then you can go right to the campaign page, and then there, there, there's a link right there. All right, so I want everybody in the Alex House audience to do exactly that, because uh, as I just said, we need more good videos to watch. And this is how you can help us. So do that, people. Yeah. I, want the, I, want the I really to appreciate it. Oh no! It's it's my pleasure to have you back. I'm, I'm glad you're glad you're still doing the work. I'm glad that you're you're making things that matter, at least to me. Like I just, I can't tell you how it's as I said, it was it was just such a relief that I'm like, oh my god, your movie doesn't suck when you sent it the first time. It's like, oh, this is good. Like it's, I live in this world of having to sit through some, just you know, attempts. And it's like, oh, this yeah. is a professional movie. And he did research. He did research that isn't embarrassing. My heart swells. <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, look, I mean, that, that movie was made in a in a basement with enough equipment. And it wasn't easy, but it was with enough equipment to fit in the corner of a small room. And, you know, all of my money and time. And I did just about every major task in the entire creation of the film. And it's just Bigfoot's a much bigger thing. Uh, the scenes that I'm writing are bigger. They're, they're, they require more help, more hands, if, if that makes sense, uh, a little more money. And so I, I can't do it all myself anymore, and I need a little bit of help, a few helping hands on set, nothing major, but we're trying to raise about 20 grand. Um, obviously, it's all going into the movie. We're very transparent about it. And then we're offering perks, uh, one of which if you – get the $10 contribution, you'll have every week for probably a year a, a video report from me on set stuff in the creature shop while we're shooting, um, while we're going to festivals, while we're going to screenings, 
for one $10 contribution, you'll get those videos every week for a year. And, you know, this, the smallest donation is two bucks. The $5 donation, you get a, you know, a high res digital signed original piece of artwork. I've, I've been doing all the production art myself. Uh, we'll probably bring in more artists, storyboard artists, but, um, you know, we're offering you things for your contributions. We don't just expect you to throw money at us. And again, we're being very transparent as to where the budget's being allocated. If you know much about movie making, 20 grand is not a lot. We have a lot of our own money. I'm, I'm basically matching it. So it's like, you know, we need a few things to pull this off correctly. We just, we need some stuff. And we're hoping that people feel that this is significant. We've been shooting it. So it's not like we're looking for a kickstart. You know, we're, we're in the middle of it. And so if you take a look at the video, read around a little bit, if you have any questions, send me an email. Maybe it's something you'd like to be a part of. You know, maybe it might be a fun thing just to throw 20 bucks at and say, hey, I'm part of this thing. So, you know, check it out. It, it's, it's, it's an honest production. It's a real production. If you haven't seen my Montauk Chronicles, go look it up, you know, check it out. Uh, I'm definitely equipped to be able to pull it off and uh, we're doing it. We're making it. So you you can see a sneak preview reel of what we've done so far on the campaign page. No, oh, very cool, very very cool. Um, all right, so I think we got everything out there. Uh, thank you again for for coming back and um, you know for making cool stuff. Good job. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this here. And again, like I'm a total outlaw filmmaker. I'm out here doing my thing, and um, I think the more of us are able to pull it off the better because it'll create a whole new system it'll you know if i even got into the distribution end of things with you it'll make your head spin and that um you know maybe one day we can sell our own stuff i was able to do it all year and it did pretty good so it's like you know completely on my own uh and so you know independent artists and filmmakers should be able to sell their own stuff i'm hoping to be somebody that influences that much more and if I can be successful at it, then I'll be an influence and I'll tell people exactly how I did it so I can help other people and get information out there, you know, because that's what we need to do. We can't keep putting the power into the hands of people who are, you know, giving you junk. So that's it. Uh, all right. So thank you again to Christopher Garitano. Uh, I've been Alex and you've been the listening audience. Uh, bye. <laughs>